Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. The View from the Lane is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store, over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. My name is Jack Pitbrook. I'm joined again today by Charlie Eccleshare and James Moore. And the big question, Charlie, as Spurs head into a massive week, have they got something like momentum, confidence? Five wins, two draws from seven games. They are in red-hot form, if you look at just the results and ignore some of the performances. I mean, yeah, they do. They are in... They do have momentum. They're winning games. Some of them they haven't played brilliantly. I, th- I think yesterday they they deserve to win that game. They created more than enough chances. Um, so yeah, they they do. I I don't know how they're not playing with like a swagger. I mean, yesterday they they did create more, but um, you know, winning breeds confidence. They they have that for sure. How do you feel about James? Uh, it felt it felt more like a a good performance with bad bits rather than what we've seen probably up to this point, which is a bad performance with, with good bits, if you yeah. see what I mean. I mean, you kind of alluded to the momentum there. I think now, to update the stat that we mentioned last week, uh, at least up until Manchester City play West Ham, Spurs have now taken more points than any team in the Premier League other than Liverpool since Mourinho took over, which is pretty decent going, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should do, let's do the bad bits first before we do the good bits. So... It did take them, in, like the finishing was bad. It took them until the 94th minute to put away a team against whom they created a lot of chances. But we'll get into the creativity later on. Still only got two clean sheets in the last 15 games. Really bad. I mean, the first 20 minutes were terrible. Mm. And on another day, they would have been 3-0 down and the game would have been lost. There was, I mean, I know last week we were talking about how slow Vertonghen looks now, but there was a moment in the first half right down in front of us where Jack Grealish ran outside Toby yeah. Alderweireld. And watching Alderweireld like turn and try to chug back slowly towards Grealish, it was you had a moment of like, wow, he's actually really old as well. Yeah. Um, are there? I mean, how worried are you about this? The kind of defensive side. In, in that first sort of fifteen twenty minutes, Spurs were like massively rocking against a team who are, are right down the bottom of the Premier League, albeit one that had a couple of decent results in the last few weeks. I mean, it was pretty clear that they had put their best player, Grealish, on uh, Tottenham's worst player in my opinion, Aurier. Uh, and, well, <laughs> and he was getting quite a lot of joy yeah. over there on the left-hand side with Villa in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes. And, and as you say, that little area of space between Aurier and Alderweireld was somewhere where he was getting quite a lot of joy as well. But it felt, it felt like Spurs kind of found their shape a little bit more as the, as the first yeah. half wore on. And then I think probably from 20, 25 minutes onwards, I'd say Spurs were probably comfortably the better team. They were. I guess the worrying thing is that like, I don't, I'm not sure I've seen a team defend that badly in the Premier League. They were Villa was so bad defensively. Yeah. Like some moment, I mean, the goal sort of summarises it. Firstly, it's a goal kick. Two guys go up for a header against two. Both Villa yeah. players go up for a header against one another. Then Sanchez is just clearing it. And I mean, I think you know Spurs very grateful for the tonsillitis bug that laid Tyron Mings low because that was a big blow. And Engels coming in just looked all at sea. So that that's the caveat. Um, 
and you know there won't be many teams away from home you can concede two against and and win games like that's not a recipe for success but yeah i agree with james i think they they did control the game after that initial flurry once villa didn't score to make to make it 2-0 because that would have been key once that didn't happen i think from then on i always thought spurs would probably nick it yeah i completely agree i think what what i want to look at right now is the creativity i think this was definitely spurs's best creative performance under Mourinho. Uh, so they finished with 23 shots and 10 on target. And that, that figure of 10 is as many as they've had in their last four games put together. And against City, Norwich and Saints twice. Um, Michael Cayley on Twitter said that they Spurs had an XG of 2.9, not including the penalty, which is their highest by miles under Mourinho. That's uh, really high. Yeah. That. Um, and they'd had a few games, I think, where they'd been in the low twos. But this was obviously much, much better than that. And M- Mourinho even said in his post-match press conference, he said, this was the match since I arrived when we created the most chances, so many chances to score, and not just chances that arrive occasionally, but chances that we really built, we really worked for with beautiful football. And what what was interesting for, for me about this is that when, in the days leading up to the game, we were thinking, oh, oh, what's going to be the story of this game? What are we going to write? And I was thinking, well, Spurs are really not creating much at the moment, and maybe it'll be about how, maybe the story of the game will be how they, you know, they're struggling to create chances. What why do you think they were so able to create so many good chances here? I think with that as well, one thing that's quite strange. I mean, I mean, first I thought Bergwijn was really, really good. I thought it was electric, yeah. uh, really made a difference having that pace. The way Villa set up playing such a high line really played into Spurs' hands. I mean, the penalty comes from a ball played over the top by Winks and there's not a Villa player in their own half. Yeah. It's, it's really bizarre, actually. Uh, so that helped. What's also odd is that they, they also could have created a lot more chances. There were a number of times, I thought, where Son and Ali had it, took too many touches. Mora was one in the first half as well. So they could have actually created even more. But I think the fluidity of that front three, front four, I suppose, including Ali, worked really well. Uh, Villa just, just couldn't handle that. I suppose if you looked at it, you'd say the difference tactically was that Son played in that in that central position, which Lucas had been uh, had been playing in sort of since Kane got injured up to this point. And he just, to me, he just feels like a more natural fit for that role than Lucas, who uh, we talked about it last week, isn't as good as holding the ball up, isn't anywhere near as good with his back to goal, uh, and not as good a finisher. Well, no, not as good a finisher either. Yeah, um, I mean, I didn't think Son had a particularly had a particularly good game actually, and, and for the reasons that Charlie just mentioned, you know, there were, there were moments where he probably picked the wrong pass. He, he shot a couple of times and maybe he could have squared the ball. Uh, but to then go through one-on-one like that in the 94th minute of the game and, and uh, like that finish was a really, really good finish. Really from good. Like quite a tight yeah. angle, really. Like a really, really nice finish. Yeah, I tweeted at half-time. Sunset has such a weird run because at that point it was 5-5. Five and five, It's now 6-5. and five. But I don't think he's been playing that brilliantly. And I think scoring a goal off your own missed penalty sort of summarised where he's been at (laughs) in a way, you know. Uh, But credit to him, he keeps getting in the positions. Yes, I think he had something like seven shots yesterday. Uh, And yeah, as you say, James, really, really tidy finish. I think all of his shots are actually on target as well, I noticed. By the way, he shouldn't be allowed to take penalties anymore. That run-up. The the run-up, he did it against Southampton as well and he did score that penalty, but... He's just telegraphed that. Yeah. So, it's so obvious you knew. he's putting the ball. It's the only place you're ever going to put the ball when you do that sort of little Fred Flintstone run-up. It was so obvious. Who would well, you have yeah, had to take the penalty? This is the question. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know who else in that yeah. squad you'd, you'd, you'd put in that team. I mean, Lucas has missed a couple in the last couple of years. Get, a, get a centre-back, just lamp it. Yeah, just get a big Damonton Sanchez just to put his foot through it. You always associate Eric Dyer with that, the penalty yeah. squad. Yeah, Columbia, but, but it wasn't a good penalty. Yeah, It's like Ospina. Ospina like falls over towards the ball with his arms close to his chest, like the mm-hmm. opposite of what you'd expect. Like he, Ospina basically makes no effort. <laughs> makes himself small. Himself, yeah. but I think the thing <laughs> is, because we were all about eight pints down by that point, 
as a country. I think, don't think anyone was really too concerned about that. He did take one in the uh, Nations League as well, didn't he, Dyer, I think? Uh, I should know. <laughs> there's, no point pret- there's no point yeah. pretending that anyone cared about that, but he, I think he did. What do we think of Dyer's return, by the way? I mean, obviously, partly to do with the fact that Celso wasn't fully fit. Uh, I don't think it was great yeah, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. He looked a little bit. It was like it's, it's the kind of game that we've seen Dyer have quite a lot recently, which is that he's out of the team for like a month or so. He comes back in and he's really off the pace. But then because he plays badly, he's not going to play again yeah. until their next mm. really need him. So and he won't he's, not, he's not going to get anywhere like that. because yeah. I, I wonder as well with like Aurier being exposed, you do. I don't know obviously what the instructions were, but you do. You know that is often the role of a defensive midfielder yeah. to, to to shift across. It's usually Sissoko who covers Aurier, exactly. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I thought one of the benefits was that it allowed Winks to get forward a bit more and he played some nice passes but um, that, that Winks to Celso double pivot has been really good yeah. last year. let's talk about Winks Charlie you wrote about him, about him the other day I think he's probably in his best form for years he started the last nine games in a row uh, he's looking really really confident he feels the trust clearly of Mourinho uh, just as much as Pochettino. This is different from what we expected, isn't it, when Mourinho took over? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the thrust of the piece, was that I think when Mourinho took over, he was name-checked as one of being probably the, one of the victims of Mourinho coming in. You know, Mourinho not necessarily associated with nimble, neat and tidy centre-mids. We tend to think of him as like Nemanja Matic being the prototype Mourinho central midfielder. And initially, you know, for the first month or so, he was pretty peripheral, uh, you know, we reported you know, he wasn't happy with how much he was playing or how little he was playing and yeah since then nine games in a row looks so much more confident feels a lot more loved and valued you know it's natural once you start getting games and he's in the rhythm kind of the opposite of what you're saying with Dyer. he now is in that rhythm of playing games every week just looks sharper and sharper he's been given a bit more license to get forward be creative he's played some really nice passes set up really good chances and I think that moment where he got uh, his run that got Zinchenko the red card that changed that game sort of symbolised a kind of new, fresh, um, more dynamic wing. So I think he's been really impressive. And particularly the way that Spurs are playing at the moment with basically four fast counter-attackers in the front line, that puts an extra emphasis on having someone from midfield who can play that high quality of, of forward pass into them. But he seems to have been kind of growing in influence in the last few games. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we talked probably before Christmas about that uh, Sissoko-Winks partnership and the fact that to my eye, it kind of felt like they were both they were both felt a little bit restricted in that they didn't want to take risks because the other one wasn't like a natural holding player. But I think when you stick Dyer in there, even if he isn't playing as well, Winks just looks like a little bit more comfortable uh, to kind of like, like carry the ball forward basically and be a little bit more expansive with his passing. And as you say, that's really important in a team where you've got like four players like, making runs off the ball basically. I think as well as Celso's intelligence positionally really helps when it's those two as yeah, well yeah, because yeah. if one of them goes I think Winks can go forward trusting Celso's so smart he'll pick up those spaces that need to be covered and so the same effect as with Diet, he feels he can get forward he can play slightly more ambitious passes Do we worry that as good as Winks has been recently there is still like he can sometimes get isolated and picked off by intelligent teams because he's may, maybe can be a little bit rash defensively at times and that I'm kind of wondering with the Leipzig or maybe the Chelsea game in mind whether or not that might happen possibly but I, I'm not really sure there's necessarily a better option there. no <laughs> yeah I mean that that's sort of the caveat against all of this to a degree isn't it that um, obviously City would be the exception but in that run of seven games I think three of them have been FA Cup games which is slightly lower, lower intensity generally you would say than Premier League so I think that's why people are slightly reserving judgment but um, well yeah massive test if he comes through these next two games then you really are thinking he's in one of the best bits of form of his career someone else who 
impressed yesterday was Ben Davis, uh, first game back after three months out, in which he's kind of become this like strangely influential, important figure while he was working on his ankle, his damaged ankle ligaments away in Qatar. Um, how important do you think it is to have someone who perfectly fits into the Mourinho system? Do you think Mourinho? Do, do, do you think Mourinho putting all that emphasis on him was like? excuse making or do you think that Ben Davis is legitimately the tactical linchpin of the side uh, I mean it's probably a little bit of both isn't it I mean it, it definitely felt like Mourinho had probably had like sort of two training sessions before that West Ham game the first 70 minutes of that game that would have been his like only first, yeah, his only first hand experience of the, the phenomenon that is Ben Davis so yeah I mean I, I can kind of see you know and we talked about it at the time that system does make sense it is kind of quite a good way to solve a lot of the problems that Tottenham have with that squad but equally you would kind of fancy that Vertonghen in theory should be able to play in that role as well but clearly Mourinho didn't think that worked out and actually I suppose that was kind of borne out by some performances uh, he is Davis has been a classic of when you're at, when you're out injured is often yeah. when you know you're at your best and yeah. every passing game I mean Mourinho's name checked him so many times you know it, it has been as, as you mentioned in your piece Jack it isn't like he has become Spurs's MVP without yeah. having been playing. There's always kind of been a slight argument among people on Twitter as to whether Rose or Davis is actually better. And I think most people think Rose, but there have always been some people that have said Davis. And I've seen on Twitter in the last sort of 24 hours a few people saying Davis has always been better. Yeah. And actually, if you look at the kind of best runs of form that Spurs have had in the last sort of five years, uh, the second half of 16-17... When Rose was injured, you know, yeah. Davis was playing at the back end of that season mm. when, when Spurs were doing really, really well. He played in the, the win over Dortmund at Wembley, the, the first win over Dortmund at Wembley, the win over Real Madrid at Wembley, some of the other Champions League games in that season as well. So he's not like a stranger to kind of being involved in the good moments. It's not yeah. like he was kind of completely the backup and Rose always played in the big games. He, he has, he's played more games than Rose in each of the last three seasons. Yeah. Like as in before this one, the last three complete seasons. But he's so like, because he's so different from Rose in every way. Like he hasn't got the sort of explosive power of Rose at his peak. He doesn't say interesting things to the media like Rose does. He doesn't play for England, he plays for Wales. He hasn't been courted by Manchester United, Chelsea, into Milan. He hasn't got that charisma that Rose has. Yeah, uh, it's, it means it's, that he's always like felt which like is a, not as eye catching as a player. Yeah, he's always yeah. he's always felt like a kind of steady, steady Eddie. Eddie. Yeah, 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 right, steady Eddie. But but he's a, he's he's good. He's is a really it fair good to say, or is this too superficial, that Rose's ceiling has maybe been higher, but he's also put in more kind of five out of ten performances, whereas Davis is maybe doesn't have quite as high a ceiling, but has been. No, as I, I mean, Rose is probably, probably like more of a that. risk taker, maybe. Yeah, so it's like is... there's always that, that flip side. There's always a potential for things to go wrong and to be caught like up the pitch or whatever else. But Davis probably hasn't exposed himself in quite the same way. But I guess what I mean, like in that sixteen seventeen season, for instance. And again, maybe this is memory playing tricks, but I think of Rose as absolutely flying up that yeah, left wing, yeah. which is more exciting yeah. maybe to watch yeah, yeah, yeah. than someone who's positionally incredibly smart. Like that's superficial, but I think yeah. that is what most fans probably when they're watching football, it, it, it's it's just easier to identify with. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But it, like the qualities of Davis are the qualities that you can totally see why Mourinho would count on him so much because he is... He's experienced, he's intelligent, he's versatile. The system player, basically. He's a team pl- yeah, yeah, he's the ultimate team player. Yeah. And if you want someone to kind of balance out your back three so that Aurier can bomb on, it's actually much better than having someone who's either got 
like Sessegnon or Tanganga, who doesn't really have that much relevant experience, or someone like Rose, who doesn't want to be there, or Vertonghen, who I, I agree with, with what you said. Vertonghen would have been perfect for that role two or three years ago, yeah. James. But like 2020 Vertonghen, probably, you know, he. But, I, but he actually, would, get would he, now that I think about it, would he? Because he's always come, you know, we talked about that for Dortmund game last season, last week, and his best skill in that position was bombing forward with the ball. And I don't think that's necessarily what Mourinho wants. No. Back in that system well, doesn't today. Mourinho want someone who is kind of just about quick enough that they can defend that space outside them, so they don't so they yeah. don't get countered? And that's the sort of thing that I think Vertonghen used could have done in the past, but now I think I kind of I think he's slowed to the extent that he probably can get him down the outside. I mean, Davis as well, just with the team player, he's malleable as well, isn't he? You think like that's perfect, Mourinho. For, you know, he loves getting hold of these players who he can kind of mould to to what he wants. And, and you think Davis kind of would fit perfectly with yeah. that. Also, not very old, Ben Davis. He's been around forever, but he's 26. Because yeah. uh, he was only uh, 26 minus 6 is 20. <laughs> uh, 20 when he joined Tottenham. <laughs> um, and But because he was like, you know, a regular in the Swansea team as a teenager, you kind of assume that he's slightly older. But he's, that makes him one of the few players that Spurs have got, you can say, is arguably at their peak age. Yeah. Like in quite a few positions, Spurs have got like good young players and like kind of slightly too old players. You know, like like you know, on the one hand you've got Vatonga and Rose, then on the other hand you've got Tanganga and Sessignon yeah. in that position. Whereas Dave, Davis, along with probably Son, Kane, Kane Lucas, Ali's coming up to it. Maybe, yeah, maybe Ali. Although he wasn't great yesterday, he's one of the few players that they can really count on. So it's a really big week for Spurs. On Wednesday night, not Tuesday night, as some people say on Twitter, <laughs> uh, they've got RB Leipzig at home in the Champions League. Um, Leipzig are currently second place in Bundesliga, one point behind Bayern. They beat Werder Bremen 3-0 over the weekend. Um, this is going to be a really hard game, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know who objectively would make the favourites for it. From, from our point of view, I think Tottenham are, but yeah, Leipzig are clearly a really dangerous side. And I think there was maybe a bit of underestimation when the draw came out because it was a team that weren't as familiar to you know to most Tottenham fans. But yeah, they'll be they'll be very tough. It sort of feels like one of those ties that Spurs have been on the other side on of in the last in the last few years, where they've kind of been like the sort of you know mm. green young side without much experience, kind of loads of enthusiasm going into it against a slightly more sort of grisly you know. It, battle scarred team mm-hmm. um so it will be quite interesting to see like the boot on the other foot and exactly how spurs kind of uh, react to that well and it's interesting with that because initially they weren't winning those ties but yeah. as that, but then they started once they got a bit more experience yeah, to, yeah exactly uh, top set i mean that is that is the one thing i mean uh, you know it, it's possibly not like a massively tangible thing but that that sort of lack of experience in Champions league knockout ties that that group of Leipzig players have. And it's not even that as a team they don't have it. It's like, as, I don't think there are many players in that. And they're all really, there are loads of really good players there, but I don't think many of them have played like in games like this before. I guess the flip side of that, and the piece I've written as a sort of preview to this game, which will be up now on The Athletic as you listen to this, is looking at Mourinho's recent record in the Champions League. You know, I think he was thought of as the master of the Champions League, but actually looking at his last... So he hasn't won a knockout tie since 2014 and he's lost his last three. And in all of them, he's drawn the first leg with a really dire, grisly performance and then got knocked out on the home leg. And and I think, I say in the piece, he's approached 
Champions League games in a kind of him and Rafa Benitez mid 2000s sort of chess match way and it's sort of evolved so I just wonder if you know how differently he will approach that and whether he will continue to look at the Champions League as how it used to be when it has actually changed and now rewards more adventurous play and these high scoring games have become almost the norm rather than the exception so it will be very interesting to see how he approaches it I mean the two things I'd say about that are one uh, Spurs don't seem capable of making football matches into chess matches uh, at the moment if you you, you look at their scores over the last three months I think that was the fourth time on Sunday that Spurs have won three two I think yeah under Mourinho Mm. which and I don't think you would have expected that uh, kind of two and a half months ago um, it's true that it will be, but it just, yeah, I just wonder if he will try and uh, and sort of approach it because it's a Champions League game. Yeah, that sometimes make, it gives it a different feel and a different dynamic. I mean, also, also when you're at home and away goals are a factor, then you kind of you know you, we saw last season how important away goals were for Spurs against uh, Man City and Ajax. Yeah, um, I think, I think nil nil at home now is, is yeah, a pretty decent fine. result. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even you know as it turned out, losing one at home wasn't the end of the world against Ajax either. Mm. Yeah, it might be that, in fact, having the home game at Spurs first will work in Munio's favour because it means he can't get in that trap yeah. of getting the nil yeah. nil away and then coming at home. Like I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember doing the Chelsea Atletico game in 2014 at Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea played out this really boring nil nil away in Madrid, and some people were saying, "Oh, a Mourinho masterclass, yeah, getting back to Stamford Bridge." But of course, Atletico had total control of that second leg because they knew that their kind of counter with their counterattacks, they could kill Chelsea. Well, so the, in in the piece, actually, I talked to Mark Schwarzer who played in that game and. And he says that, I mean, he, you know, he's not suggesting that they or Mourinho underestimated Atletico, uh, but there was definitely a feeling after that first leg, right, big part of the job done now, boy, we've got them back to Stanford Bridge. But yeah, he kind of, then Mourinho got out Mourinho'd because Simeone was like, great, we're very, very happy <laughs> with that nil-nil. We, we will come and make the, we'll play on the counter at Stanford Bridge. I do wonder if that's c- kind of, that changing in, in European football is sort of partly down to like, then there being fewer like, awful pitches and terrible like intimidating stadiums where you know you can't even hear yourself think it's all kind of all the big oh, stadiums yeah. all kind the of quite uniform now and, yeah, exactly. made a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a massive difference but I, but I I probably say this all the time but I think away goals is such a brilliant rule and the, the main reason I think that is because it means extra time is very very unlikely and extra time the prospect of extra time is like the death of knockout football because you get to an hour and you see this in every major tournament you get to about an hour in and both teams almost declare whereas you just don't yeah. get that and also I love the fact and we saw this with Spurs last season that like in basketball or rugby or sport like that you can go from losing to winning in in one moment and that is amazing and that's what the away goals will bring yeah that is really really cool and it, but even like the Sevilla game where United did, where Manchester United were knocked out two years ago for a lot of people that was the kind of moment that crystallised hold on they're rubbish completely that I think a lot of people no seriously I think a lot and I, again for the piece spoke to people from around United and they say it was slightly the beginning of the end because it was uh, why are you this is United and you're uh, and actually I looked at it and before that game that Sevilla game there was almost this like moisey deference to Sevilla Mourinho's talking about really talking them up and you think okay maybe that's pretty much platitudes or even mind games or whatever but then the way they approach it was as if they were playing kind of Pep's Barcelona in 2010 and yeah, it, it, he he seemed outdated with with those severe games, so it's, it's a lot to prove for him. So, do we think that means they're are we expecting to see a more attacking performance then on on Wednesday night? I don't know. I re- I'm so intrigued because 
all as James says, all signs point towards that. And I, and I get. I was thinking. United away is probably the most comparable game they've had under Mourinho so far. And they were attacking in that game. They played four attackers uh, and were actually exposed defensively. It was a really bad performance. So all signs of him under Tottenham point towards the fact they will play reasonably attack. I know against Liverpool uh, and City they were a bit more conservative. Um, but then all of his Champions League recent uh, knockout games anyway suggest he'll be very defensive. So I... I think they will be more attacking than we've seen before. Uh, Mourinho seems to have been, but I don't think it will be a kind of swashbuckling all-out attack. And are you worried at all about the um, about the kind of high-intensity pressing game that Nagelsmann's introduced at Leipzig or Timo Werner? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of you lying awake at night, is thinking like, no, not the press. But I mean, we've seen that you know the Spurs have really struggled to cope with that uh, over the last couple of months. I mean, we talked about Lacelso making quite a big difference in that regard, um, and you would assume the reason he didn't start on on Sunday was that he would kind of be fully at it on Wednesday night. So, I mean, that, that can make a big difference. I mean, cl- clearly, it's going to be a really difficult tie, and it, it's kind of one of those almost thankless tasks where, you know, Spurs get through, no one's really going to be kind of giving them much praise, but if they get knocked out, they're going to get absolutely torn to shreds, even though clearly Leipzig are a really good team. Would you play Spurs' most press-resistant midfielder, Tangi Ndombele? Mm, I was thinking that. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> See what happens. Yeah, that what that Celso Ndombele winks uh, trio, you'd think would be reasonably press-resistant, actually. They're all people who can get the ball under control and keep it there was a funny moment in the game yesterday like just before Son's winner so yeah right towards the end of the match where Tanganga Vertonghen and Ndombele were down in front of us warming up so the, the press box at Villa is like quite close and down on that side of the pitch so we were really cl- really close to the warm-up and Vertonghen was like assiduously doing all of his warm-ups and stretches he was doing squats he was like uh, you know, twirling his ankles around and doing every single groin and hamstring stretch and everything. And Ndombele was just stood kind of half watching the game, half looking, you know, staring into, into midair. And some, when you hear Spurs, sometimes when you hear people st- talk about like uh, body language and attitude and application, you think, mm, like, is is that something that you're just seeing because you want to see it or is that for real? And then when you see like the contrast between Vertonghen yeah. and Ndombele, and I don't mean it's a criticism of Ndombele because I love Ndombele, but when you see that contrast, you're like, yeah, I kind of get what people mean when they say that sort of thing. Totally. Before the uh, Southampton game, I was watching him in the warm-up and again, like whilst you're Vertonghen and all that being very professional, he was doing like no-look passes just sort of for the hell of it. And like, so the, the crowd around him were kind of laughing it up and I was really enjoying watching it. But you think, is that really going to help you in the game? But no one's paying 50 quid to watch a bloke twirl his ankle around. <laughs> they, they want to watch a bloke do no-look passes. That's true. That's comple- that is completely true. Uh, another thing I want to mention about the RB Leipzig game is Paul Mitchell, who was director of recruitment at Tottenham, obviously from 2014 to 2016, uh, brought in a lot of the players who were really, really good for Spurs. So Son, Trippier, um, Deli, Alderweireld, you know, kind of built the sort of Pochettino team but before he quit and then went off to, to Leipzig eventually after a long period of uh, gardening leave and notice period. And at Leipzig, he's now building the, the team there. I spoke to him the other day. He was really, really nice. He was actually almost surprisingly positive about Tottenham and his time there. Um, but he did say that, you know, I asked him why do you think Tottenham found it difficult in the last few years? And he said, well, it's difficult to keep on spending money while you're trying to build a new stadium. Um how do you think he's he's remembered by people at Spurs or by Spurs the Spurs community? I've got to say he's he's probably not 
uh, remembered in quite the same way as like uh, Frank Arneson or Damien Camoli. And I don't feel like he had the same profile. Yeah. Um, kind of publicly. Is that, that part as well because you... Or you Baldini get, as well, sorry. Baldini, Baldini, yeah. yeah. Is that part as well because you, you remember the ones you get blamed more? Yeah, I, think, like, I guess... Talent spotters, you, you hear about them more sometimes when it goes yeah. wrong than when it goes yeah, right. Yeah, so I guess Arneson kind of went after a year and there was that whole thing with him sort of being uh, courted by Chelsea on a Bramwich's mm. yacht and whatever. Camoli obviously had the whole uh, two points to make games fuss. But, but, but I mean, to be fair, a lot of the players that were signed in that era... You know, like Modric and Bale. Yeah, turned exactly. Out, sure, turned out to be really good players. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know... I think he's maybe been har- a bit harshly... Uh, yeah. Because yeah. some of them did, as you say, did become really good. And I mean, even that Magnificent Seven from uh, 2013 after Bale left, I mean, obviously, you know, Ericsson was one of them. Lamella's still there. Sadly, was kind of fine in the end. Kapoor has proven to be a decent Premier League player. Mm. Kirikas is still playing at a decent level in Syria. Uh, and then a Soldado. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> But, um, no, but nobody gets them all right. No, exactly. Yeah, Camoli wasn't still there though. For that, was he? No, that was so. That was Baldini. Right. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, you know, cl- clearly uh, Mitchell has been there in, in a time where recruitment has has worked generally really well. Uh, and then there was definitely quite. It felt like quite a big drop off, kind yeah. of post sort of twenty seventeen through to. That's last true. Although the, it was also true that the money kind of dried up as well. well that is true. Yeah. Over that over that period of time, I do think he also had a really really good working relationship with Pochettino and Pochettino's staff. I know mm. that Pochettino still sees him as a friend. Yeah. Obviously, Pochettino effectively brought him with him from Southampton. Mitchell joined about six months after Pochettino joined, back in 2014, and they did. You know the the. Pl- it's very easy to get, you know, to look at Ng and Kudu, Janssen. But then I guess if you're trying to, get, if you're having to gamble in the market and try and find players, you know, who cost sort of 10, 20, 30 million euros at most, yeah. you are going, you know, you are going to get some wrong as well as right. Well, I mean, just on that note, I mean, I, you know, having seen Bergvine, and I mean, obviously it's very early days, but having seen Bergvine play well again and, and you know, watching Le Celso sort of growing in status and, and kind of praying that Ndombele kind of comes good on all that promise, actually if those three players kind of end up developing in the way that you hope they could and they probably should, then that's going to be what, like sort of £110 million maybe? Big like, up Steve Hitchin. Well. well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, I mean, genuinely, yeah, I mean, genuinely, yeah, yeah. Really, I really, really the good. kind of profile of players they should be going for. Bergwijn at the moment looks, I mean, that, 30 million looks like an absolute yeah, snip. Absolutely. He looks like he's going to be really, really good. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't look like a 30 million player, Not does he? Not at all. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's hard because it is so early. And actually, I know there's this conception that it takes players a long time to adapt to the Premier League, which is true. But actually, often they also start quite explosively and then tail off. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we've seen that a lot. a player like that. Exactly. I mean, I, I think of him stylistically. I remember like when Memphis Depay came to the Premier League and, and started actually well, and I think scored in the Champions League against Bruges. And it was like, the new number seven, like the king yeah. has arrived. And, and then he wasn't so good. So like, you know, you do have to reserve judgment. But from what we've seen so far, I'm so excited by Bergvine. I think he's really, really good. Even Soldado was good at the start. Yeah, he scored two pens, didn't he, yeah, his first yeah. two games. Um, and then this Saturday, Chelsea, it's Chelsea away at Stamford Bridge. Um, a huge game, really, in the, in the Champions League push, particularly given that while Chelsea's form is kind of faltering a bit, Spurs are really, really closing the gap on them. I mean, I know I know. before the game in December, we said on this podcast, mm. Spurs are going to win and then they'll be in fourth and everyone will love Mourinho and, that, you know, Spurs and Mourinho will live happily ever after. And of course, in reality, Spurs were really, really bad and lost and it's taken them quite a while to kind of climb back up to yeah. the level you'd expect them to be yeah. at that game. Are you more bullish going into this one? Uh, I'm not sure whether I'd say bullish. I mean, I... 
It'll be interesting to see. I mean, but by the time you, dear listener, uh, listen to this podcast, Chelsea will have played Manchester United. Um, so they could be kind of four to one point, one to four points ahead. Um, feels like the kind of game that Manchester United won't lose. Do you know what I mean? They play well against good teams, don't they? They'll probably draw. Yeah, I think United will get something at Stamford yeah. Bridge. Anyway, um, I, yeah, I just kind of feel like it. I just kind of feel like it's a kind of game where Spurs might try and be a bit too sort of clever and you know we saw it in the game at Old Trafford that you mentioned before it just kind of tried to set up in quite a restrictive way and it just didn't work it was a really poor performance you know the game the, the first Chelsea game the previous Chelsea game as well that performance was so bad and they just didn't find a way of like restricting Chelsea in in any sense and they just they were so comfortable in that first half an hour they went 2-0 up and really I mean actually that was the first half wasn't it yeah. but I mean they, they should have been out of sight really at half time do you think Chelsea are one of those teams who they prefer playing as the away team. They don't like having to having to like take control. They don't like the onus being on them. And make I mean that seems to be the story of their home and away form. And it might be that Chelsea, if Tottenham are clever, they can kind of force Chelsea to have the ball and maybe make mistakes with it. Yeah, my one concern with that would be would be kind of what you alluded to before, which is that there just isn't going to be that solidity like in the centre of midfield. There's not like you know. With Dyer seemingly being quite far off the pace, there isn't someone who can kind of sit there and kind of mop up and just kind of shift the ball off to the technical players. It's th- that might be the one area where they find it a bit difficult to kind of control the game in that way or to fend off. Yeah, Chelsea I think way. going forward, that is like one of the big concerns about Mourinho Spurs is their inability to play slowly, take time out of the game, uh, you know, shut up shop, which is yeah. the, kind of the classic Mourinho thing. And yet, Spurs have basically shown no capacity to do that at all since he's been in charge. I don't even blame Mourinho because it's not... I just don't think they've really got the players in that position to do that. Yeah, I think that you can control a game without necessarily having a, a big hulking yeah. central midfielder. And, I, th- you know, because sometimes they strut like away at Wolves, for instance, when they had uh, Dyer and Sissoko, neither of them were getting on the ball and passing it. And so it was just coming back at them, back at them yeah. relentlessly. Whereas at least if you've got, say, Winks and Lacelso, you've got two guys there who can yeah. keep the ball. Yeah, Yeah, you even need, like... To be able to fend it off with, with some massive like unit number four, to have a couple of players like like that who who can keep possession of football, or to have a centre forward who is good with his back to goal and can bring other players in and like help move the play up the pitch. Um, now that last one, Spurs definitely don't have at the moment. Yeah, completely. Um, what are your favourite <laughs> Chelsea versus Spurs games? Uh, at Stamford Bridge, or uh, yeah, we let's need to broaden it out. I think because it's not. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, let's broaden it out. Yeah. Uh, mine would be the League Cup semi-final second leg in 2001-2002. So, for context, for anyone who doesn't remember, uh, Spurs went away to Stamford Bridge in the first game and lost 2-1, and went back to White Hart Lane and scored quite early on. I think John Terry made quite a bad mistake, and Stephen Everson sort of prodded one in. Then Tim Sherwood scored a bit of a belter from here to the box. Are you, look, are you looking this up on your screen? So Jackie's Googling this now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going yeah, yeah. to get these goal scorers right. Teddy, Incorrect. Teddy Sheringham, 3-0. Uh, yeah. I'm, actually, I'm actually not looking that up. I was looking something else up. He's looking, <laughs> up. He's looking up his flight to Dortmund. Teddy Sheringham made it 3-0 with like a, a nice. really nice sort of long-range strike. Simon Davies, the other Welsh Davies, 4-0. Oh, yeah. And then I think Mikel Forsell maybe scored for Chelsea. Cool. And then Sergei Rebov made it 5-1. I'm, actually, you know what? It may have been 5-0, 5-1. Amazing. I don't remember that game at all. It was good. It was at that time as well, wasn't it, where Spurs hadn't beaten Chelsea in Yeah, it was the first ages. time Spurs had beaten Chelsea for sort of 13, 14 years, I think, in any competition. Um, and then they went on to lose the League Cup final to Blackburn. 
but that that leads me on to mine because they hadn't beaten them in the league yeah. for even longer by the time you're in uh, I think it must have been November 2006 yes. November the 5th 2006 November the 5th very good set you up for that um, and Chelsea went ahead through uh, Makaleli and it followed we were talking about this before this crazy incident which you may have seen uh, where Robin is miles through on goal but he sort of dithers he's kind of moving his body so he can get onto his left foot and as he's dithering Ledley King comes charging out of nowhere and dispossesses him with the most amazing side tackle you'll ever see but then Chelsea score from the resulting corner which always yeah. just feels so unfair it's like yeah, you when yeah. a keeper saves a penalty and someone yeah. taps the rebound in so that's sort of equivalent anyway so you're thinking same old story Chelsea who were the two-time champions under a certain Jose Mourinho oh, yeah. Um, and yeah they were going to do what they did and, and beat Spurs but then Michael Dawson scores a header and then in the second half, Aaron Lennon scores. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, James, he cuts inside and then it's on his left foot. Yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, like yeah. puts it in the bottom corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually remember that finish really well, weirdly. Yeah. Um, so was, the first touch is almost, the ball kind of sits up quite, quite awkwardly, doesn't yeah. it? And Ashley Cole kind of comes sliding yeah, comes across him and he like, tucks it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, Chelsea, uh, Spurs won the game 2-1. Cool. That was, yeah, that was, I remember that well. That was really, really good. Um, so the first thing that pops into my mind is a game which I'm sure we've talked about here before recently, which was um, when Tottenham beat Chelsea 2-0 at White Hart Lane in January 2017. Chelsea were obviously on this incredible winning run under Conte. Uh, they were on their way to storming to the Premier League title. And Spurs completely, did, Spurs basically did, destroyed them. It was like the perfect, you know, 3-4-2-1 Deli and Eriksson as kind of number 10s behind Kane. Both goals were identical, I think. Walker went, Walker stormed down the right, pulled the ball back to Eriksson in that kind of pocket space, who swung over, crossed the far post, which Deli Ali headed in. So it was just like everything coming together in perfect unison. And also... Wanyama uh, played very well. Wanyama was incredible. Wanyama Wanyama and Dembele were absolutely (laughs) untouchable in the middle of the field. Pochettino said Victor was everywhere in uh, Brave New World. Can we uh, we just give a shout out to all the people on Twitter that are moaning that we keep going on about that season? Yeah. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Uh, uh, And even though, obviously, Chelsea did, did go and win the league and not Tottenham, but you saw that game and you're like, yeah, actually, Tottenham could... You know, Tottenham. Who were the real champions? Tottenham were. Yeah, that was the real quiz. Yeah. That was the real quiz. The, um, what other? Are there any other games that spring to mind? What about the? What about the FA Cup semi-final at Wait, Wembley? No, no, <laughs> awful. Which I think one? It's first played. Spurs did some good stuff in that game. Twenty. Uh, you mean the four-two? Uh, the, yeah, the four-two. Yeah. I mean, I know they lost, obviously, and they. But I kind of thought Spurs were like. It was like one of those Spurs performances where I thought they were like the better team for like eighty-five percent of the game, or. But then, like all the key moments went against them. And maybe, played- maybe we can have a long chat about Spurs in FA Cup semi-finals <laughs> yeah. in a few weeks because <laughs> yeah. that, that might come up. And they but- played Kingman Son at left wing back. Yeah, and he gave away a penalty, didn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah. So it was a dive actually, I think. I th- yeah, I think and so. then Moses got sent off for diving in the final against Arsenal, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag but- makes you think. Yeah, it does. It really does. VAR. Uh- cool i think that's kind of all we've got time for this week but thank you very much for listening and we'll be back next week where we will look back on the leipzig game and the chelsea game so join us again then thanks a lot bye